Hi, my name is Cody, and I'm on a mission to break the silence of domestic violence and sexual assault. This production is brought to you by Bolton Refuge House, which is located in Wisconsin. At Bolton Refuge House, we create a safe space through programs and services for all persons impacted by domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and sexual assault, and advocate for social change. I'm a regular true crime sleuth. I listen to podcasts, watch YouTube channels dedicated to true crime. I've even been known to use the aforementioned podcast and YouTube videos to fall asleep to. To answer your first question, yes, I clearly have problems. But today's episode isn't about whether or not I'm a complete psychopath, or if I should start my own true crime podcast. It's more so on a murder case that occurred in 2021 that made me ask the question, what does a victim look like? More specifically, what does a domestic abuse victim look like? But first, some exciting news for you. Bolton Refuge House is hosting a Packers tailgate tour. This happens on April 11th, 2023 from 6 to 7.30 p.m. at the Lismore Hotel. Tickets are $50, and this includes player Q&A, live auction of autographed Packers memorabilia with President-slash-CEO Mark Murphy, light hors d'oeuvres, fancy, entertainment, and more. Visit boltonrefuge.org backslash Packers to learn more and purchase tickets. All are welcome. I think most of us remember hearing something about Gabby Petito in 2021. It was hard to go anywhere without hearing updates on her case. For those of you who need a quick refresher, here's a summary. In 2021, Gabby and her fiancé Brian went on a cross-country trip together in a modded-up van. Brian would return home for a couple of weeks without Gabby, only to then disappear himself. A few days after Brian's disappearance, Gabby's remains would be found, her cause of death being strangulation. Weeks later, Brian's remains would be found his cause of death being suicide. Due to a notebook found near Brian's body, authorities were able to conclude that Brian killed Gabby. First off, it's important to note that Gabby's case isn't a unique one. According to End Domestic Abuse Wisconsin, in their 2021 report, just here in Wisconsin alone, 80 people lost their lives due to domestic abuse. Another interesting statistic from that same report showed that 11 of those perpetrators committed suicide. Another sad fact to keep in mind is abusers like to keep their victims isolated from their friends and family. This allows the abuser to keep a tighter grip on their victims, and thus keeping their victims more dependent on the abuser. Now, I don't know about you, but me personally, I can't think of anything more isolating than being in a new place every day surrounded by strangers. I can't say this was Brian's plan, but regardless, the end result was the same. The trip would largely be just Gabby and Brian together. Gabby would be states away from anyone she knew, making her largely dependent on Brian for the duration of the trip. Isolation is sadly a strong tool that abusers use, and like I said, it allows abusers to keep a strong grip on their victims. That's why, when I safety plan with someone who is planning on continuing a relationship with their abuser, I have them tell me about friends, family, and even co-workers that they feel comfortable talking to about the abuse they are experiencing. I can't stress enough how important it is to have these people in the victim's life. One good reason is because, believe it or not, the abuser usually blames the victim for the abuse they are experiencing, solely because an abuser never wants to take responsibility for their actions. Don't believe me? Let's take a look back at Gabby's case. Remember when I said there was a notebook found with Brian, and that notebook was how officers were able to determine Brian killed Gabby? Well, let's read a little excerpt from what Brian wrote, shall we? It reads, and I quote, I thought it was merciful. 
that it is what she wanted. But I see now all the mistakes I made. I panicked. I was in shock. But from the moment I decided to took away her pain, I knew I couldn't go on without her. End quote. Now, that was just a small excerpt from what was recovered. I glanced over the parts where Brian goes into more specifics on what occurred, and where Brian explains how he's taking his own life, not out of fear of being punished, but due to not being able to live without Gabby. And I don't have to tell you why that's complete hogwash. But, anyway, did you notice anything interesting from that quote? I certainly did. First, notice how Brian described the killing as merciful, and what Gabby wanted. Also note, the wording he used instead of saying killed, he says take away her pain. In Brian's wording, he was not taking full responsibility for the pain that he caused, and instead put it back on Gabby. Now, I could pick this apart all day, but I already feel myself getting mad about this, so let's move on. Next, I want to go over one specific event that occurred with Gabby and Brian. On August 12, 2021, Brian and Gabby were pulled over due to Brian's driving. Brian and Gabby were separated and questioned. From the questioning, Gabby would state that she was hitting Brian while he was driving, and that's why Brian's driving was, well, let's just say less than stellar. Brian would state that Gabby gets really worked up at times, so when she's like that, he tries to distance himself from her. Let's pause, give a big eye roll, and let's continue. Now, the interesting twist here is that had the officers made an arrest that day, it would have been Gabby being the one getting charged because of her admitting to being the instigator of the fight. Now, I wanted to use this event to explain a tool that we have called LAP. And to help me explain LAP, I have my good friend Cassie. Lethality Assessment Protocol, or LAP, is a program that puts victims directly in contact with services like ours. Um, it works by the first contact that that victim has with either crisis intervention or a police officer. Um, that person does an, an assessment with the victim, and depending on their results from that assessment, that's when it's determined how lethal their situation is. And if it's determined to be lethal enough, dangerous enough, then that victim is put in contact with us. So it's a way to connect victims to domestic violence services. So, to rehash what Cassie just said, in the event of a suspected domestic violence situation, law enforcement will ask the victim 11 questions from the lethality screening. The victim will get a score from answering these questions. The higher the score, the more dangerous of a situation the victim is in. Now, if the victim is unwilling to answer the questions or the officer feels like the victim is withholding information, the officer is able to mark that they believe that the victim is in high danger. Both circumstances, the next step is the same. The officer would ask the victim to talk to whatever advocacy agency they work with. If they're okay with talking to the advocate, the advocate will briefly inform the victim on their services and if they'd like a follow-up call. If the victim denies the phone call, the officer will give information on the advocacy group to the victim. Please know I'm not saying that this would have saved Gabby's life. I just wanted you to know that there are tools out there to assess these types of situations. With that said, I'm going to leave you with this. A victim of domestic abuse, or a victim of any crime really, doesn't look like the main character in a Lifetime movie. A quiet, middle-class woman in her early 40s who never tries to fight back. In reality, anyone can be a victim of domestic violence. Now just because every victim is unique, it doesn't necessarily mean that every situation they find themselves in is as well. There are people all over the world that find themselves in similar situations to Gabby. Maybe even you listening right now have experienced similar situations. I highlight that to say this. 
If you find yourself in a domestic violence situation, I want you to know that you're not alone. There are other people who have been where you are now, and there are people willing to help. I'd like to thank you for listening, and a special thanks to Cassie for being on the podcast today. I kind of just grabbed her out of the hallway and told her that's what she was doing, so real trooper on her part. Until next time. If you or someone you know is affected by domestic violence or sexual assault, I encourage you to reach out to our 100% confidential 24-hour hotline. That number is 715-834-9578. We have trained advocates ready to help.